0: All right, turn to Psalm chapter 73, Psalm 73, and remain standing as we read the word. Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For There are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment." Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment they are utterly consumed. They are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless I am continually with you you hold me by my right hand you will guide me with your heart with your counsel and all and afterward receive me to glory whom have I in heaven but you and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for indeed those who are far from you shall perish you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry but it is good for me to draw near to God I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the way you reveal, um, reveal yourself through your word. And God, I pray for this time, Lord, that our minds would be open and our hearts would be open to the things that you want to say. Lord, I, I give you this time, Lord. I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord, and you would speak. Lord, fill me with your spirit afresh and anew that I would accurately and correctly and clearly and in your power declare your word. Have your way in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms, written, and, written by Asaph. And Asaph was uh, one of the leaders in, in, um, in music in the tabernacle. David had, King David had appointed him as um, one of the leaders of service for the tabernacle. And so he... Uh, he wrote different uh, psalms. He's attributed about 12 psalms and uh, noted for just being a, a songwriter, essentially. And so what we have here is a worship leader. That's what Asaph essentially is. He is a worship leader in the nation of Israel. And he starts the psalm off in such a great way. Truly, God is good. Truly, God is good. God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. He begins this psalm with this simple declaration of truth. It's true. No matter what, it's true that God is good. God is good to Israel. God's good to those that follow him. God's good to those that serve him. God's good to those that are pure in heart. That is a a fact. It's an undisputed fact that God is good. Many of us, um, we have Romans 8.28 memorized. For um, all things work together for what? For good, for those who... Love God and are called according to his purposes. We have that verse memorized, right? Because it's so important to remember that God is good no matter what. It is an undisputed fact. But, you know, we understand it intellectually with our minds, but sometimes our heart forgets that. Sometimes in the midst of our experiences, our difficulties in life, the trials we face, we question maybe not necessarily if God is good, but is God good to me? That happens sometimes, right, with our frustrations, um, our difficulties. Is God good with me? And that's what Asaph essentially questions in this psalm. Is God good to me? And that's why I love how he starts it off, because he's writing this in retrospect, okay? He had this experience, and now he's writing in retrospect. So he begins it, not just God is good, but truly God is good. You know, we have to get to that place in our lives where it's not just we intellectually say God is good, but we can, in, in confidence, in our heart of hearts, declare, truly, God is good to Israel. God is good to me, to those that follow him. Asaph is going to declare, he's going to account um, a time in his life where he questioned that, where he questioned, really, is God good? And one of the things that I love about Psalms is it's really just someone sharing their raw emotion. And I, I love them because I can relate to it. I like When I read scripture, I love seeing different examples because I'm going to learn by doing and learn by seeing. You know, I like seeing how other people um, follow the Lord and, and get encouraged by their faith. I also like learning the mistakes other people make, and hopefully I can learn from them and, 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 and relate too, to the difficulties they have and, and gather some perspective from them. So in verse 2, we start to begin to see that, that struggle that Asaph had. It says, But as for me my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So Asaph is recounting a a stumble, a near stumble he had. Okay, he's tripping, all right? And so the question we're asking this morning is, Asaph, why you tripping? This is what happens when you have the youth guy come up here and teach. Uh, He uses some interesting language. Why you tripping, Asaph? And as we read through this and we look at the things that are causing him to, to trip and, and, and notice it says almost stumbled. So it ends well for Asaph. He gets his footing. But as we read through this, uh, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, am I ever tripping? Am I getting stumbled? You know, am I falling into those same kind of misconceptions and, and confusion that Asaph is having? So we're going to look at the things that nearly caused Asaph to stumble or to get tripped up. And the other thing that I like about this psalm is remember who Asaph was. He's a leader in worship in in the congregation. And so it's important to remember that even great people of God struggle. Even great people of God go through temptation, okay? And we're going to learn lessons of how, um, despite the temptation, you can come up with sure footing to to conquer that temptation and that struggle. So verse three kind of hits at, really the core, the beginning of his struggle and the the kind of core of it. Verse 3, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So we started the psalm out with a truth. It's true that God is good. No matter what, we've got to remind ourselves God is good. Well, Asaph here talks about another truth that he sees, and that is that wicked people prosper. That's a truth of our world. It's a truth for Asaph when he looked around and when he gazed upon the earth and he looked at other people, which was one of his mistakes. But when he looks around, he notices this truth. Wicked people often prosper. That's true for our day today. You know, I look at um, a lot of times some of these celebrities, these famous people, and some of the things that they stand for, and yet all the fame and all the wealth and all the glory that they have, and yet they stand for things that are opposed to Christ and opposed to God and God's law and God's order. But they are prospering. And then I think about around the world. I think about, uh, I think about drug dealers who are prospering at the expense of others. I think about those that, that kidnap children and use them for prostitution or for... Um, for armies, you know, these are things that are happening in our world, and yet they're, they seem to be prospering, and, and my soul, my heart, anguishes at that. And and Asaph, he looks at that, and he sees some of this prosperity that these people have that are not honoring God, these wicked individuals, and he's envious of it. He sees all these great things, all this wealth, all this prosperity that these wicked people have, and he wants it. He's envious of it. So. The error, really the location of the struggle that Asaph has is in his mind. And when we have struggles, when we have wars and and, um, spiritual attack, that's where it is, right? It's in our mind. That's where it is because we get attacked in our mind. And then after, you know, after what's going on in our mind and the decisions we make, then it takes fruit in in choices we make and what we decide to go after. But it starts in our mind when we look at things and we desire things um, and we see things and, and we want it. And so Asaph, he sees these wicked people, he sees all that they have, and he wants it. And notice the words, it says, when I saw the prosperity. See, Asaph's not really looking in the right place, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, but we need to be really careful at what, where are we fixing our eyes? Where, where's our gaze upon? See, Asaph's not looking in the right direction. He's looking across. He's looking horizontally and getting his satisfaction, his contentment upon what he sees as he compares his life with others, which is never a good thing to do. But he looks and he's discontent from what he sees. But when we want to get right perspective, we can't just look horizontally at what we see. We've got to look vertically up at the Lord. So verses 4 through 12 um, Asaph is, he, he shares all of the things that he perceives to be blessings of the, of the wicked. All the, the perceived prosperity that the wicked have, he accounts for. And I say perceived because when we get to the end, we'll see that oftentimes what we see to be great blessings really aren't that. But this is what Asaph sees when he looks at the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 4, for there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. He notices that wicked people, often, um, they don't have violent and horrible or untimely deaths like the rest of us do. You know, the rest of us, you never know when we're going to go, and and we have this horrible, tragic ending. But the the wicked people, you know, they just go peacefully in the night. They just have these, just peaceful, they live this long, great life, and just quietly in the night, they go to their death. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. Now, do you notice the exaggeration that Asaph uses? Part of that is, this is the Psalms are poetry. And when, we, you know, when you use poetic wording, obviously exaggeration is one of those tools we do to get a point across. It kind of accentuates that point. But also, I think, when you're in a place of, of discontent and bitterness and struggle, we tend to exaggerate. We tend to exaggerate, and we have to be careful of that. You know, is it true that none of the wicked people are in trouble? That, that no wicked people are ever plagued? Of course not. Oftentimes, you know, just like the rest of us, wicked people do have trouble, and, and they are plagued. Um, and so, ASFC is exaggerating a little bit, and we have to be careful of that in our own lives. You know, when we're in a place of, of discontent, and, and things aren't going quite the way we'd like it to be, we we so easily start thinking oh you know it's the, the classic the grass is greener on the other side if i just get that that next job or that promotion then everything will be great i'll just be happy and, and i'll have no worries and then what happens a lot of times is you get that promotion or you get to that next step that you're wanting and then all of a sudden you're kind of missing the other side of the hill right you're like oh i forgot how easy it was in my last you know position or whatever that happ- i mean i know i get like that sometimes you just look and you think oh it's just going to be better and we just, we exaggerate, we, we, we kind of lose sight of reality and we just, we assume or we, we exaggerate the, the difficulty that we think we're in. Having said that, it is true though that, that wicked men often don't face the same trouble um, and they're not plagued in the same way that we do. You know, rich and famous people often get out of punishment, uh, whereas others don't. You know, they can use their fame. It happens all the time with famous athletes. Right where it just seems like they, you know, they do something horrible, but for some reason the 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 law doesn't come down upon them as hard as the rest of us, Uh, or in other places where, um, you know, where you can pay off government, right? You can you can kind of hide it, but you can get out of trouble based because of their wealth, and um, so Asaf sees that and he sees this prosperity that that they don't get the trouble that the rest of us have. Verse 6, therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. So they're wearing pride as their bling. You know, they got their little pride, you know, necklace. They're showing it off. You know, they're flaunting it all to see. They're not even trying to hide their wickedness, it seems like. They're just, they're just so boastful. They're, 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 we- you know, they're wearing it for all to see. That's the idea of wearing it as a necklace. And it says also violence. They're putting on violence and pride so all can see. And what a far cry it is from the New Testament. The New Testament tells us to be clothed with Christ. You know what a comparison we should do when we read about the wicked is, you know, make sure we're not acting that way, of course, and compare it to the right way of living. Instead of being clothed with pride and, and violence, we need to be clothed with Christ. It says in verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. You know, they, they are so fat in terms of all the wealth that they have communicated. I mean, they have everything you could ever even want. And then it says that things you would never even think of, they have. I don't know if you ever watch shows, watch like some of those home shows, and they'll have shows of celebrities. And I don't know why we watch them, because then we just end up getting envious of it um, and stumbling, tripping up. But you watch it, and you, you see some of the things that they have in their house. You're like, what? They make those things, like the things that they have. You're, and they're just like perfect luxury. I would have never even imagined that I could have that, that could do all those things for me. They have all that stuff, more than heart could wish. And they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. So they, they look at oppression they don't try to stop it. the Bible talks a lot about about um, how we're to to deal with oppression and how we're to defend the poor and the widow and the orphan and, and those that are being abused and, and God looks very God has a heart for them and he looks very poorly upon those that that do them harm and here this wicked people that's what they're doing you know they're taking advantage of and they're speaking against those that oppress those that are that are putting others down. And we know that our God is a God that sets captives free. He doesn't want people to be captive. He wants to set them free. But the wicked, that's not their heart. They speak wickedly against oppression. Verse 9, They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Look at the level of their pride here. Look at the level of it. They set their mouth against heaven. I mean, that's scary. When you read these verses, it's, the level of their pride is scary. They say that, how does God know? There is no knowledge in the God Most High. You see, Asaph, what Asaph was doing was he was looking, and he saw, he made his judgments about about what's going on based on what he saw. He saw wicked people prospering, and he made judgments about that. The wicked people are looking around, and they're making judgments too. And they're saying, hey, I'm getting away with this. I'm getting away with murder. So certainly God, either he's not there, either he doesn't care, Either he's powerless, and we're going to continue to do what we're doing. And they're making judgments based on lies, based on simply what they see, but not on the truth of who God is and and what we learn in the word of God. So Asaph sees this, and he sees all these bad things that they're doing, not just the bad things they're doing, but their claim against God. They're being blasphemous against God. All that, and what have they gained for all that? Or what has it cost them? It hasn't cost them anything. They've only gained. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. You know, there's no, there seems to be no punishment for them. All that they're doing, there is no punishment. Only they gain and they gain. The rich gets richer and richer and richer at the expense of others. And so Asaph then goes on to share in verse 13 through 16, how this really was 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 aching at his heart why this was hurting him so much verse 13 surely i have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long i have been plagued and chastened every morning you know esau looks around and he sees wicked people and all that they get and all their prosperity He thinks about his own life. He is committed to living righteously. He's committed to living for God. And what has he gained? What has been the end of it all? He says, this has all been in vain. Why even try to live righteous? What is the point? What's the point? What have I gained from it? Well, this is what I've gained. I've been plagued all day long. I've been chastened. speaks of punishment all day long for trying to live righteous, for trying to serve God. That's the gain that I get. You know, Asaph, he, he, he lost sight of, of, of an eternal perspective. He lost sight of really understanding um, what we have in Christ or what we have in God, the blessings that we have. One of the things we have to be really careful of is we need to understand the promises of God. We've probably heard that many times before, and, and maybe some of you have, prom, you know, Bible promise books, right? Those are, those are great books um, to have, and you read them, and you're reminded of um, God's promises. We talked about one in the beginning, you know, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. It's so important to know the promises God has for us. But sometimes we forget some of the other promises, the ones that, that aren't so, like, nice and kind, like in, in Timothy, where it talks, I think it's 2 Timothy, where, um, God promises trial and tribulation for for all those those that desire to live godly. If you just desire to live godly, you're going to be persecuted, is what 2 Timothy says. I "I don't really like that promise. Or the other thing, too, is it's so important that we understand what God hasn't promised. I think that's sometimes just as important to understand what God has promised, to realize what he has not promised to us. Because I see so many people get tripped up because they assume that they've been promised something by God that they haven't been. You know, there's so many things that we just think, oh, you know, if I follow God, of course this is going to happen in my life. Of course I'll get this. You know, God doesn't promise us certain things. He doesn't promise us spouses. He doesn't promise us children. He doesn't promise us that there will be no pain and trial and and difficulty. Okay? And, and, And what happens is, we think that when we follow the Lord, we're not going to have those things. And, and, and you know, that's why it's so dangerous of, of those that, that, you know, do the name it, claim it, um, you know, type of, of doctrine. Where they say, you know, if you, if you want something, all you have to do is have faith. Just believe, and that Ferrari is yours. Okay, that might sound kind of nice to our flesh, right? Um, you know, have that Ferrari, whatever it is. Just be able to claim whatever, whatever it is that you want, and you'll receive it. But that type of thinking, not only is it wrong, it's not biblical, but it's dangerous. Because what happens when you start believing promises that aren't there, and then you don't get them, that's when you get tripped up. And there's lives that have been ruined by that kind of doctrine, that kind of thinking. Their faith, have, have, they, they, they fell from their faith. Because they thought, oh, if I have enough faith, if I just believe and pray it enough times that I will get whatever it is that I get, and they don't. So they must not have enough faith. And they must maybe they're not really saved. And next thing you know, they have completely fallen away from the Lord. When, in fact, all of the blessings of God that they could have ever needed was available for them. But they had their, their eyes set on the wrong thing. But like Asaph, we can struggle in the same way. You know, we can feel like, and maybe not so severe as Asaph puts it here, but we can feel the same way. You know, why do I keep going through all this effort? What's the point of all this work? You know, why, when we want to live righteous for God, it's work. Now, we have God's help, right? So in one sense, it's easy. But uh, there's a lot of things that would be easier, you know. If I'm called to live righteous, I'm not supposed to cheat on my time card. You know, I'm, I'm, supposed to, I'm not supposed to cheat on my taxes. You know, there's ways we could get wealth uh, or, or that sin, that, that, we, that temptation, we could just give into it. You know, because for a season, that's, that's appetizing. So we have to make a commitment to live for God. And Asaph, he's, he's made that commitment, but he's wondering what's the gain. What's the gain in, in this difficult life trying to live holy for God, when all I'm getting is plagued and ch- chastised. Well, Because he got his eyes off the Lord. Verse 15, he continues in this struggle, he says, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. And when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So what he's saying here is, he knew that as a worship leader, as a leader in the congregation of Israel, he had a commitment. He had a commitment to lead others, okay? And so here he's in this anguish. He's he's struggling, and and yet he knows he has to keep him to himself. He can't declare this. He He can't go out and share his struggle because he'd be untrue to the generation of your children, of God's children. He has a commitment to represent God well. He can't share it but that's how he truly feels. And that's one of the reasons why I love Psalms so much because you can relate, right? Just their raw emotion, what they're saying, what, what they're sharing. He says, I thought how to understand it and it was too painful. He's just in utter anguish for, for what he is perceiving as the blessing of the wicked and the struggle that he is going through with trying to live upright for the Lord. But it gets better. We get verse 17. Praise God. Ready for something better here. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Notice the location where understanding was found. Where was it found? The sanctuary of God. Sanctuary of God. In a broad sense, the sanctuary of God is simply just that place where we meet with God. That's what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament, where you go and, and man gets to meet with God and offer up sacrifices and, and, relate, and learn about God. So in a broad sense, the sanctuary of God is that place we meet with God. If we're in a place of confusion and, and, and trial and difficulty, and we don't know what to do, we need to go meet with God. That is always the answer. You know, we don't need to go to any other book. We don't need any other, you know, counsel or advice. God is always going to be the answer. Okay? God's always the answer. But I also want to talk for a moment about specifically the sanctuary of God, because yes, in general, the sanctuary of God, that place we meet with God, and we get to meet with God in, in our quiet time with the Lord, in, in the Word of God, and in our prayer time, we get to meet with Him and get understanding there, but we also get understanding in the actual sanctuary of God. So I want to talk about a few things, four things that I think are special about the sanctuary of God, and what I mean by that is the actual congregation of believers, And how it brings enlightenment and understanding. So first, for Asaph, when he was to go into the tabernacle, you know, the first thing he would see as he'd walk through the one entrance into the tabernacle, the first thing he would see was the altar of sacrifice. It's the first thing he would see. When you go into the tabernacle of God, you see the altar of sacrifice. What does that remind you of? That God judges sin. That there's judgment. Okay? That sin has to be paid for. And when you go into the altar of God, or when we come into the church, we're reminded of sacrifice. That there was a sacrifice required for us. The gospel. The gospel brings understanding. It brings enlightenment. You know, at the end of the day, on the worst possible day, no matter what could happen, the the most terrible thing could happen in my life. But at the end of the day, one thing is true. I'm still saved. The gospel is still true for me at the end of that day. As horrible as it is, and I don't want to dismiss the trials and the struggles we have because I understand they're real, but at the end of the day, the gospel's real for us. And when we come together as a church body and we, we're reminded of the gospel, when we celebrate and participate in communion, we're reminded of the death that was required for us to be saved. The gospel puts me back in place. I remember I have a reason to live holy because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for me. Well, the second thing that takes place in in the sanctuary of God for Asaph, especially as a worship leader, there's worshiping the Lord in song, okay? Worshiping the Lord in song. I get understanding and clarity when I worship the Lord. I remember when I was in college, I was saved just a couple of months, and I was just going through a time where I was struggling. You know, I'm young. I'm 18, so I'm just young in general, and I'm young in the Lord. And I was kind of missing that old life. I was kind of, I was struggling with some things I wanted to go back to. And I went off and went to kind of be by myself and I'm praying and I'm just kind of, I'm tripping, you know, like ASAP here. I'm walking back to my dorm room and a buddy bumps into me and says, hey, you want to go to this uh, church service tonight? There was a church that did this uh, called Celebration, a service on Sunday evenings where it was just a worship service. They do a short Devo in the middle of it, but it was pretty much an hour and a half of just worshiping to the Lord. I remember it it was exactly what I needed. There's something about coming together as a fellowship, as a group of people, declaring how awesome God is. Getting my eyes fixed on God's goodness, it just puts me in the right place. There's so many things in my life that would be different if I never came and sang to the Lord. God's spoken so many intimate things that has radically changed my life when I come and I declare, declare how good he is through song. Now, we worship God because he deserves it. We come and we sing to him, first and foremost, he deserves it. That's why we do it. But it's also good for us. And that's another reason why we do it. The other thing that happens in the sanctuary is we hear and study the law of the Lord. Asaph would have done that, and so do we. We need to come together and learn the law of God, to understand the Bible. Because, again, the Bible gives us perspectives. That's how we know the promises of God. That's how we know his will and his desires for our life is by reading the Word of God and putting it into practice in our life. And the fourth thing that we have as we come together is we have fellowship. See, Asaph was kind of isolated, right? Remember, he was in anguish. I'm feeling this way, but I I can't be untrue to to your uh, your generation and the children of your generation. So he was kind of isolated. But when we come together, we have fellowship. And we recognize that there's others that are serving the Lord with us. You know, we get encouraged by one another. And we also get to share our struggles and, and be lifted up in prayer. You know, that's one of the best solutions when we're tripping out. What we want to do, right, is we want to isolate. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like being around other, other you know, godly people. I, I just want to isolate and, and kind of, you know, just deal with my misery on my own. Maybe a tub of ice cream or something. But instead, what we need is the fellowship. We need to be encouraged by each other and have perspective given when we communicate with one another. So Asaph went into the sanctuary of God, and he got understanding. And what else he got was not just general understanding, but understanding about the wicked. You see, he had this perceived view of all the blessings that that they had, but he was missing out on something. He didn't really see the full scope. He had this isolated view. But we need the Lord to see the full scope. And that's what we see in verse 18 through 20. It seemed as if they were prosperous, but this is the truth of those wicked individuals. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. That's the end of the wicked. See, they might prosper in this life. And many wicked do in Asaph's time and in our time. They prosper and they gain all throughout their life. But there will be an end for them. And at that end is destruction. Their end is destruction. It says, as a dream in verse 20, as a dream as one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Now we know God's not sleeping, God's not asleep. Again, this is poetic, but what God does do is he's, God is long-suffering and he's patient and he takes his time, he allows people an opportunity to repent. He gives them time, he relents, but judgment is coming. Judgment is coming and unless those wicked people, unless they turn to Christ, repent from their ways, they will be judged. Their end will come. They will face it. Asaph forgot that. And notice, too, the, the um, kind of the, the image he uses where he talks about he began the psalm by saying, I was, I nearly slipped, but in verse 18 he says, those wicked people, they're in a slippery place. See, Asaph gets his footing, but the wicked, unless they repent, they're in a slippery place and there is no hope. And unless they repent and turn to Christ, they will fall. Verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish, ignorant, so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. You know, Asaph, he, he finally gets it, right? You ever look back and you're just like, what was I thinking? You know, what, wh- I was so confused, and yet when you get that clarity of the Lord, you're like, why was I thinking that? You know, it's like you look at that apple and it looks so good and shiny, and you bite into it and it's rotten inside. But that's what happens sometimes, right? We, we view that and it looks so great and we long for it. But inside it's rotten. And Asaph was like, I, I, was, I was looking at the wicked and I thought, oh, how great it is. Look at all that they have. But really, we shouldn't be looking at the world and admiring that and desiring that. We need to be grieved. I mean, their end is destruction. You know, it, it's, it's been said before that life here on earth, Life here on earth Earth is the the, um, closest thing to hell that Christians will ever experience. As soon as we leave this earth, it's going to be so much better. Earth is the closest thing to hell that we'll ever experience. But but for for the unsaved, life here on earth is the closest thing to heaven that they'll ever get. It's the closest thing to heaven that someone that doesn't know Jesus will ever get when they meet their ends. And when they die, they'll be eternally separated from God unless they repent and turn to Christ. You know, Asaph lost sight of of the spiritual things. He was so focused on the temporary things. You know, he even describes himself as a beast before you. And that's what a beast is, right? They're so consumed with the momentary lust, that momentary flesh. How can I be fed right now? You can't reason with a dog and say, hey, look, I'll give you one treat right now if you want. Or if you can wait, you could have ten treats tomorrow. You know, the dog says, you can't reason with a beast or a dog. The dog's going to snatch that, that treat right out of your hand, maybe part of your hand with it, um, you know? But, but that's how Asaph was, was, was acting like a beast. Give me that pleasure right now. I want it right now. I, it's not lost sight of the long view, the eternal perspective. Verse 23 and, and 24 kind of through the end, verse 25 as well. Asaph then talks about, hey, look, these are the things I have in the Lord. These, this is the true state of me. Yeah, I'm plagued, and I don't have all the prosperity that, that it appears that the wicked have, but these are the things that I have. Verse 1, or sorry, verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. So the first thing, I have God with me, Asaph realized. You know, trials come and they go. Riches come and they go. Difficulties but, but Jesus, God, he is always with us. No matter where we go, he is right there with me. He'll never leave me. The second thing in, in that verse, you hold me by my right hand. God's holding us. God's holding my right hand. I love that picture. I, when I read it again, poetry, so I kind of get the image of, of a father with their child, holding their child's hand. You know, that security, that safety that we have when we have a God that has all power, has all knowledge, and he's holding our hand. We have security and safety in that. Verse 24, we see a third thing. You will guide me with your counsel. We have God's counsel. Have you ever, Rachel, have you ever been given bad advice before? Okay. Everyone's hand should be raised. I've been given bad advice before. But you know what? God never gives bad advice. Never. Now, his advice isn't always easy. Sometimes what he asks us to do is, is hard, but it's for our best. It's for his, his kingdom. You know, the things people turn to for advice sometimes, just, I shake my head, but, man, I, I feel sorry, you know? They turn and, and, hmm, what can I learn from looking at my palm? I don't know. You know, or, or fortune cookies, you know fortune telling they I mean they look for that and oh i mean you get my you know my lottery number from my fortune cookie and people turn to so many different things for counsel and advice and they're susceptible to bad advice ungodly people ungodly individuals but we have the living god god's promised to give us wisdom if we ask no matter what no matter what situation i'm in god knows the answer and I can go to him and I can ask him. I have God's counsel. I am very, I need a lot of counsel in my life. And I'm thankful to have God's counsel. A fourth thing we have in verse 24, and afterward, receive me to glory. God's going to receive us to glory. That's my end. Glory. You know, this life, we have ailments and difficulties, physical challenges. but We've got glory waiting for us. we got glory waiting for us. And I think the, for me, kind of the climax of this passage is verse 25. I love this this verse. It's one of my life verses. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. You know our best reward? It's God. It's the best reward we have. What makes heaven so great, it's not streets of gold. What makes heaven so great, it's God's presence. What makes hell so terrible is God's absence. We have God. We have God with us. We get God. That's what we get in heaven. We get to be with God without, you know, without sin. We get to perfectly be with God. But we also get God here on this earth. Right now, we get God. We get God with us. That's what, that's what we need to desire is God. See, Asaph, he was, he was thinking about what blessings he could get from God instead of really realizing just the blessing of having God. That's the best blessing, is God himself. And I love this verse because, you know, whether, whether poor or prosperous, this is a huge verse. You know, if we don't have anything, then we remember that we have God. That's all we need. And even if we have abundance, what really matters, what we really have is God because we don't take any of that with us. The best thing about heaven is God and we get to have him now. That's what I want my heart to cry. God, just give me more of you because I get caught up in the things of this earth. You know, especially with kids, you know, and you you have desires for them and you you just get get caught up with the different things. But man, I want to cry out, God, just give me more of you. Let, Let you be the desire of my heart. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, Asaph recognizes that he's frail. We're all frail and our flesh is going to fail. But God is our strength and he's our portion. Again, you know, we look at the abundance and the prosperity of the wicked, but look, they don't get to take that with us. But we have an an eternal inheritance. God's inheritance that we get to get to have. We need to get our eyes on that. Genesis 15, one of my favorite verses, 15.1, God is my shield and my exceedingly great reward. He is our portion, and he is our inheritance. God is. Verse 27, for indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Asaph ends the psalm by just recounting, um, you know, the end of the wicked. What's their end? At one point, he was desiring them, but he, for, he forgot, spiritually speaking, what their true state was, and he forgot, spiritually speaking, what his true state was. You know, the, their end is destruction. But verse 28, he ends it, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. He began the psalm by saying, Truly, God is good. God is good to those that follow him, to the pure in heart, to Israel. And here, even despite all those struggles that he went through, despite whatever experience we're having, he can confidently declare not just God is good, but it is good for me to follow God. It is good for me to draw near to God. The Bible tells us don't grow weary in doing good. You know, if, we're, if you're in that place like Asaph where you're just growing weary, growing weary and pursuing God and, and struggling, tripping a little bit, you know, what's the point? God is good. Not only is God good, and we can declare that with confidence, but it is good to follow him. It is good to draw near to him. So like Asaph, let's do what he does. Let's put our trust in the Lord and let's declare his works. Let's pray.